Oh, yeah. I mean, we could go on with the yolks, but we'll stop. I, oh. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's ingrained from childhood. Anyhow, that was not planned, I promise. <laughs> if I planned it, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Anyhow, this is not laughing. You have come to shine. <laughs> and we're doing things a little differently tonight. Um, we are going to, I'm going to make a few announcements, and then we will have Chandler share her testimony nugget, and then um, Liz will pray, and Liz will share. Of course, we need to pray for Liz. Yeah, and we will pray for the message and for the night, and then we will do worship as a response to some of the really neat things that the Lord has put on uh, Liz's heart to share with us tonight. So anyhow, we have all the ages with us tonight. Little Penelope is joining us. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> oh, what a joy, what a joy. A couple announcements. Um, thank you to those of you who shined up, who shined up. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not talking tonight. <laughs> I'm glad you're talking, Liz. Who knows what you would get. <laughs> I, Thank you all who signed up to help a next-gen junior. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyhow, also, we'll be having the carnival this Saturday night, the 31st. So it'll be fun. The, um, there'll be a couple of bounce houses, so kids, grandkids, neighbors that have kids that are looking for somewhere to go. There'll be um, all kinds of games and treats out here for the kids to do and after a short family service that we'll be having. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be really a, a neat, fun time for the kids and the adults. So they have some things for the men, is there? There's, they've got some, some things for the men to be involved with. It should be interesting. <clears throat> so anyhow, um, also there is a position for... Um, since Melody has uh, resigned, uh, Executive Administrative Assistant. And if you want more information, just go to the Road website and you can see there what the qualifications are, what are they wanting, the duties and responsibilities, the job description. So anyhow, well, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for being here with us. We humble ourselves before you and we exalt you. We lift you up. Father, we thank you for the way you come, the way you have met us here every Thursday night. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be here tonight with us. We need you. We are desperate for you. We all have challenges in our, in our life. And as Brenda Burroughs and I were talking before, she asked, are the challenges good? I said, well, they're good when you're with me. But when you're not, they're not. So, Lord, the challenges that these ladies are walking through, I pray that you would be with them and that their eyes and their ears would be open for you to hear them. That tonight, as Liz shares, as, as Chandler shares, that our eyes and our ears will be open to hear what you're saying to us, your bride, because you want us to shine. So, Father, we open the doors of our heart. We humble ourselves and the the thoughts that we may have of what are right, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and by your grace you would teach us. You would teach us what your design is, what your way is, because your way leads to life. Our way leads to destruction and to strife, and that is not where we want to live, Lord. We exalt you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you. We just bless Chandler as she comes to share a testimony nugget. We ask that you would speak to her and through her as she shares. And as Liz shares, Father, we pray that you would bless her and minister to her as she brings forth truths from your word that you've put in her heart, that we would receive them by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. So when Christine had first asked me to share, I was actually going to share on the night that the teenage girls came and joined you a few weeks ago. Um, and when I was praying about what God wanted me to share to the young girls and to you guys, um, he really just put on my heart the importance of knowing what a woman's identity is. Um, and that's very integral in kind of my testimony and my story. Um, 
some of you guys may know a little bit. I won't go into all the details, but um, I grew up in a divorced family. My dad's atheist, and he was pretty verbally abusive growing up, and my mom was raised Catholic, but she didn't practice growing up, so a lot of my high school and middle school years was kind of finding who my identity was, and because I didn't know Christ at first, um, I filled a lot of that with what the world told me a woman is supposed to be and what boys say a woman's supposed to be and just what the enemy tells you that a woman's supposed to be. And so um, when I got saved in high school through a close friend of mine, um, I kind of started a journey of what God calls us as women to be and who God saw saw me as. and it was a long journey. It took me like probably six years to start figuring it out. And I think at times I'm still not quite sure. But um, one of the verses that first kind of helped me to understand um, who God saw me as was Isaiah 45, 1 through 3, which I had printed off little pieces of paper and I put it in the middle of your table. It's like this size. Um, and it was really cool because when I came across this verse, um, This verse is kind of talking about um, Cyrus, who he calls his chosen one. Um, And when I was reading this verse, God kind of told me, you know, you're my chosen one too. Um, And God spoke to me and told me in the blank spots that I put on that little piece of paper. It normally says Cyrus, but to insert my name there. So um, I just printed it off for you guys so you could do that too. But um, I'll read it to you with my name in it. Um, It says, This is what the Lord says to you, Chandler, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before her, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be open, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Chandler, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkest secret places. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Um, And that was just kind of the beginning of learning who my identity was in Christ. And um, I just want to encourage you guys because I think it's something that we all learn throughout our entire lives. Um, But yeah, I would just encourage you guys this week maybe to just pray that over yourselves. And, you know, God sees us all as beautiful and Um, he loves us all and we all have specific qualities that are unique to us so I would just encourage you guys because I think especially with just like media and how the world is today there's so much that the world tells us as women we're supposed to be but um, if it doesn't line up with what God's calling you to really doesn't matter so um, yeah that's kind of my nugget (laughs) thank you so I, you did a great job. You've done well. And, you know, I think we're really all in that process. As you were sharing that, here I'm, I have four kids that are all married, and I have five grandkids. And I've gotten these stages figured out, but now I'm in another stage I'm trying to figure out with God's grace. So we're always in a process, aren't we? Yeah. So, okay, thank you. again here and um, thank you so much for coming Um, I'm excited about tonight's message um, because it has to do with the entire Christian life Uh, it's an amazing part of the scriptures Um, I wanted to start with a quote can you guys still hear me is it oh Hello. (laughs) 
Also, what, uh, you know, now that I have the big voice, um, I wanted to say, if anyone needs to sign up for Next Gen Junior, we would love that. Um, the way things are going, we are going to need everybody's involvement somehow in the children's ministry, um, especially if you have children, because um, it's really for the kids that we're asking. Our hardest job is recruiting our, uh, the team that we have. Um, that's, our, that's the hardest job that we have. It takes the most time. It's hard to find the people that say yes. So um, we really need everybody's involvement, whether you're a parent, grandparent, any of those work, um, because then we can focus on the kids and we can focus on the curriculum and the content of the class instead of trying to scrape together the people. So I just want to say, if you haven't signed up, let me know, because I would really love to write your name in, okay? Um, so anyway, tonight I want to talk to you about the entire Christian life. Um, here's a quote from Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr is a spirit-filled Catholic priest. He says, we need transformed people today and not just people with answers. We need transformed people today and not just people with answers. This, then he talks about the Bible. And he talks about the Bible being the agent with the Holy Spirit that transforms us. And this is what he said about the Bible. This marvelous anthology of books and letters called the Bible is all for the sake of astonishment. It's for divine transformation. Does the word of God astonish you? It's supposed to astonish you. Uh, maybe not every day, but occasionally it, it's supposed to astonish you. Um, I want to just say this. If there are some of you that don't know what I'm talking about as God's word astonishing us, that means amazing us, surprising us, come see me. I would love to pray with you um, about that because I believe that's true. And the more we're in that word of God, the more it will astonish us. I want to share with you just real quick about how God astonished me in the word recently. Um, I was reading through Luke, and I was noticing that an angel came to Zacharias, and he said, you're going to have a son in your old age, you and your wife. Remember, he was in the temple. And uh, he said, he asked a question and then, because of the question he asked, because it reflected his heart, he was um, disciplined and couldn't speak for his wife's whole pregnancy. Okay, so Mary gets an angel coming, and the angel says, you're going to have a baby. And she asks a question, and she didn't get in trouble. I'm like, and I thought that was a hard discipline that Zacharias got. I'm like, wow, I wonder what would happen if I was in any of those similar situations. Not that I'd be married, but you know what I'm saying? Like an angel coming and saying this, like, would I ask the right question? Or maybe no questions. <laughs> I might ask the wrong one. But, um, but listen to the quote. We need transformed people today and not just people with answers. John, uh, Zacharias's question was, how shall I know this? That's what he said to the, to the angel. Mary's was, how can this be, since I have never known a man? So Zacharias was all about, I need to know. <laughs> I need answers. <laughs> and he also wanted to control it. We like answers because it helps us have control. Mary was looking for a new perspective. How can this be? Because logically... I believe that it's going to happen, but I have never known a man. And so the, um, the angel says, it's because the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will be the one that brings the child. So she was looking for a new perspective. Zacharias was looking for the answers. I want control. And that just speaks to me. That astonished me. And it made me think, which one am I like? I go back and forth. 
So that's how the Word of God astonished me this week. Let's read this text tonight. It is Titus 2, 11 through 15. I wanted to also prepare you that we're going to do a lot of Bible looking at verses. So be ready for that. Like have your little, have your fingers ready to uh, find those pages that are those verses that I need you to turn to. Because the scriptures are so amazing about God's salvation. Let's read these right now. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. I want to go to verse 15 first, and I want to talk about that, and then I'm going to pray. Pray for myself. Um, It talks about exhort uh, and rebuke with all authority. The Bible is the real preacher. This is by J.I. Packer. It's another quote. The Bible is the real preacher, and all the role of the man in the pulpit, or the woman, or in the counseling conversation, is simply to let the passages say their peace through him. So what is the messenger of the word's task? It's to get out of the way so that the word of God can speak to you. And so preaching is giving God a voice to let him speak. So I want to pray that I would get out of the way tonight. Lord, I just, I just uh, look to you and ask you that you would use this place, this this um, place where I'm speaking, to be your, uh, a platform for your voice. Help me to get out of the way and give me words and give me the messages for these women that you know is right for them. Lord, you feed your sheep. So Lord, use this message tonight. Use Chandler's testimony. Use the worship to speak to these women, your precious wonderful, special possessions. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is giving us an important summation in in this passage for the entirety of the Christian experience. Um, Verse 11 is about grace and salvation. I want to write these down because you can look later and go, oh yeah, I see this. Verse 12 is grace and sanctification. uh, Verse 13 is grace and glorification. Verse 14, grace and redemption. His appearing work um, is the start of first your salvation, then your sanctification, then glorification, and then redemption. There was a famous uh, theologian that wrote, of all times, it is the turning point. Of all love, it is the highest point. Of all worship, it is the central point. And of all salvation, it is the starting point. Grace. He's talking about grace. So let's talk about the idea of grace. Grace means God giving us something we don't deserve. And he's giving us something we can never repay. Grace is rescuing humanity from our sinful condition. The death of Christ on my behalf. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf, on your behalf. By believing in the Lord Jesus as my mediator between God and myself, that's how I'm saved, believing. Why do we need a mediator? Because there's a problem that we have, and it's called sin. And so we're going to talk about sin tonight. And 
it's it's a it's a challenging subject, um, but it's it's amazing what God has done to help us with that problem, and He's the mediator. So the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I have sinned, you have sinned, we've all sinned. Um, sin is an archery term in the Greek, and it uh, was when an arrow hit. Uh, it hit outside of the mark of perfection, and it was a, a target. There was a target, and it somebody went like this, and it flew, and it did not hit perfection. That's what sin is. Um, that's in the Greek language. Think of the Ten Commandments. Did I hit that standard of perfection? Probably my mom could tell you no. <laughs> Um, ever lied, ever stolen, ever lusted, ever coveted, all those things. We have uh, not reached perfection. Also, when the, the arrow was flung, the arrow could not be used again if it did not hit the perfection place. It was broken, so you could not redo. Have you ever felt so bad about something in your life that you're like, ah, Wish I could push the rewind button again. Why would I, you know, what's up with me? <laughs> why don't I, why didn't I know what to do at the time? Why did I choose the wrong thing? Well, this kind of fits that. The arrow cannot be used again. This is an interesting thing. Uh, there was a man named Randy Newton, Newman who wrote about uh, evangelism, and he said, sin is simply missing the mark, they say, the same Greek word for sin is used as an archery term. So we're all just target missers. Well, the Greek word might be used, but the two concepts couldn't be further apart. When the Bible describes the nature of our rebellion against God, it paints an uglier picture than our, simp than our simply missing a bullseye. Rather than aiming carefully at God's target, we turn our backs shoot arrows everywhere else, wanting to please ourselves. We ignore the true bullseye and set our affections on seductive targets that cannot satisfy, sanctify, or save. We are not primarily target missers. We are self-centered, false target worshipers. Um, I want to look at uh, Romans 3. Can you turn there real quick? It's right after... Um, Acts and the Gospels. So at, go, go through the Gospels, get to Acts, and then you're going to see Romans 3. And we're going to go, and we're going to read through 10 through 18. <clears throat> As it is written. This is, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he's quoting Old Testament scripture. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an, is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's, he's talking about mankind. He's talking about you and me. We are self-centered, false target worshipers. The Lord is calling all humans to appropriate salvation that grace has brought. God died for all people. Um, we love the verse, don't we? Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Belief is the issue. Faith is the issue. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. So grace, again, is that gift we don't deserve. And it saves us. 
And, and we, we grab the gift through faith. It's always about faith. It's about belief. The Bible says that if we don't appropriate God's gift of grace, we will be condemned. We will go to a place of eternal damnation called hell. So how do we appropriate this gift of grace? Uh, let's look at, um, I want to look at a few verses about faith. And we're going to go to John. Some verses in John. Let's go to John 6, 29. And Jesus says, Ah, I'm in the wrong book. John 6. Um, I have too many uh, marks. <laughs> John 6, 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's our work. Isn't that amazing? That's our work. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's simple and yet so challenging, isn't it? So, uh, and then look at John 16, uh, 8 and 9. This one is about um, the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, that was the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. That is the problem. It's not how good you are. It's not how awesome you are. It's your belief, believing in God, believing what he says. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we appropriate that gift of salvation through faith. If you perish in your sin, it's your fault, someone said. That was very wise. And if you're saved, give all the glory to God. So if we don't, if we die in our sin, it's because we don't believe. Now, atonement is sufficient for the whole world. Remember it's, uh, that verse, John 3, 16. Uh, for... for um, there you go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The whole world is there. The atonement is sufficient for the whole world, but only efficient for those who believe. So it's sufficient, but it's not efficient for those who don't believe. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so uh, we have to believe. By believing, we reveal that he chose us because God said, you did not choose me, I chose you. So how does all that fit together about free will, choosing God, and uh, uh, God um, choosing us, and the fact that uh, he knows who he chose? I don't know. It's all a mystery, but it all fits into God's sovereignty. And if you're going to look for the answer... I just want to let you know it might not be a good idea. <laughs> You'll be going crazy because it's a mystery. It is a mystery. But we trust God with that. Uh, I, read, uh, I read a quote that was interesting about um, Calvinism. This is by R.L. Dabney. Christ's sacrifice has certainly purchased for the whole human race a merciful postponement of the doom incurred by our sins, including all the temporal blessings of our earthly life, all the gospel restraints on hum human depravity, and the sincere offer of heaven to everyone. For but for Christ, man's doom would have followed instantly after his sin, as that of the fallen angels did. So God saved us by sending Jesus Christ. The fallen angels were sent right to hell. Do you remember that? We're not. God says that he's waiting. Do you know there's no verse in the Bible that says that God is pleased to send people to hell? He, in fact, we're all kind of, um, the whole world is um, a beneficiary of God's patience. It says that he's patient and slow about his promise that none should perish, but all to come to repentance. That is his desire, is for all to come to repentance. So, uh, 
Let's look again at these verses in Titus. So we're moving out of John back to that cute little book, Titus. It's kind of again getting uh, marked up in my Bible, and I'm, I'm glad about that. So um, we've talked about that the grace of God has appeared to us and bring salvation. That is the, um, we need that for our past. We need God's re, uh, work of grace for our past. Let's look at verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Present, that's for our present. So, Grace, in verse 11, is a personification of Jesus and the incarnation. In verse 12, it talks about, it's a really hard word for me, so it's a Greek word that I think is important to say, paideois. Paideois. That's my best shot. Okay, so that word in the Greek means pedagogy. That's where we get the word pedagogue, pedagogy, it's the training of a child. The training of a child. You become a student of God's word and his spirit. And this is what happens. We become sanctified. That's, that's what's happening to all of us right now, is sanctification. And that happens through grace. And grace has now been personified in these verses as a teacher. And that's what's going on. You're learning. I was uh, helping Charity start a language book. She's been writing words, and she's been writing very freely. And then we start talking about sentences, and she's like, oh, my gosh, like, really? Oh, this is so hard. So I said, how do you like that new book we're starting? She's like, oh, it's so hard. Like, I just... I didn't know about all this stuff. We're talking about declarative sentences, interrogative sentences, exclamatory. She's like, oh dear, you know? And, uh, but it's, she's learning. She's, this book is helping her learn something she didn't know. It's kind of hard. Do you ever feel that way about learning some of the things that God asks you to learn? It's kind of hard. It's like, feel, you know, you feel like that child who's like, I didn't know all this stuff existed. <laughs> And that's what, what it's like. But it's pedagogy. It's training like a child. And you know, we need to be like children. We really do. Um, in some ways, that's what happened with Zacharias. He didn't want to be like a child. He was like, I need to know. I need to know what's going on. But Mary was like a child. How, should, how can this be? She said. And she wanted... She needed a new set of eyes. Charity is getting a new set of eyes for all those words she's writing. It's like, whoa, I didn't know that there was all these rules going on. Well, Mary is getting a new set of eyes about how things work with God. Did you know that God is really strange? He really is. If you read this book, there's a lot of strange things here. And he, I think he's stranger than we think he is. I really do. And there are so many things we need to learn and know. And when we come to this book and ask the Holy Spirit, and he's going to astonish us with who he is. Uh, let's go back to our pedagogy, verse 12, um, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Ungodliness is the word Asabea in the Greek. And that means a lack of reverence. Uh, we don't, without that regenerate spirit, we do not want to worship God. Anybody love to worship before they knew the Lord? No, we don't love to worship God. And so when we deny ungodliness, when we deny Asabea, which is that lack of reverence. We make a break with irreverence. 
And true repentance will bring a desire to worship the great God and King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Salvation causes us to also make a clean break with worldly desires. And that is the other word here. Um, The word denying means to thrust and refuse. Uh, We need to do that. Um, So worldly lusts are the desires that fit with our ungodly culture. And that's tough. That's a, that's, um, those are hard to break because they're around, we're, we're saturated. But God says, make a break. Make a break with that. Um, transformed people have self-control. Before salvation came to us, we could not say no to sin. But when salvation came, grace came, we can say yes and no to sin. I want to show you this little diagram. Uh, Kathleen is going to be my holder. Um, this is a diagram I've, I was shown a long time ago, and I showed it to my kids. They might remember. Anna might remember. But um, this is a picture of kind of how sanctification works. So we have a life. This is our life right here. And at a certain point, we come to know Christ. And we're excited maybe, and we're moving along. Maybe we're kind of scared even. I remember being a little scared as I became a believer. We're going along, and I remember one of the first things that God showed me was that I wasn't supposed to swear. I just felt like, you know, it's probably not the best thing. So um, there was a point where the Holy Spirit came and he showed me, you need to clean up your mouth. I was 18. And so I was like, oh, okay. There was a point. This is the point of conviction. And I had a choice. I felt that in my spirit. Remember it says, when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin. He convinces us, like, ah, this isn't a good thing to do. So I had that, that, uh, that choice right there to say yes to God. I agree with you. I agree. I Help me to not do that. Help me to have control over my mouth. Or I could just go, ah, forget it. And you go off, and then a long time later, he brings you back in. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> but hopefully we keep saying yes. And then you go along again, and maybe it's uh, the television shows you watch. Like, maybe it's kind of junky stuff. And there's a point of conviction where the Holy Spirit's like going, ah, this isn't for you. This is not for you. And so you go, ah, yes, I agree with you, God. I confess my sin. That's 1 John 1, 9. If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to confess means to agree. So we agree with God. First John 1, 9. I'm sure you can read that beautiful writing. And so then we go along and maybe it's about if, you know, um, how we use our money. Maybe it's about other things. And we just keep going along. And the road gets a little more narrow. Have you noticed that? And we go along and we're becoming more like Christ. You know what I love about, and can you see over here? You know what I love about this? Is he doesn't do it all at once. Man, he had a lot to tell me, but he waited and he chose timing of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that he didn't tell you everything that you needed to learn? And I'm still, you know, we're still doing this with God. But I love that picture because we're becoming more like Christ. I'm going to move this over here. Becoming more like Christ, it's harder and we're learning. And it's hard to, it is hard. Like I felt for Charity today. I'm like, she goes, I didn't know all these things were going to pop up with grammar. You know, she didn't even know the word grammar. Um, but she's going to be learning about it, unfortunately, for her. So, um, and fortunately, she just knows about sentences. She doesn't know about, you know, adverbial phrases and all that stuff. But that comes later, just like in our Christian lives. So, all right, let's go back to 
uh, verse 13. So we're moving along here, um, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking to God. You know, um, Paul says that um, it is for him to live as Christ and to die as gain, and it is better to be with the Lord in heaven. I mean, think about it. When we get to heaven, there is no sin. We won't be on the pedagogy anymore. We'll be perfect as he is. We'll be made like him. And there's no more tears, no more shame, no more sickness, no more death. It's going to be a good deal. It's a good deal for us. Uh, I want to look at 1 John 3, 2. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. Um, so it says, and, oh, I'm sorry. It's two, uh, we're going to go to three, two. Yeah. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So we will be like him. We won't be dealing with our sinful nature. So isn't that an amazing thing? Basically what I just said to us and what I just, uh, by going through these verses, um, what God's saying to us is that the penalty of sin has been dealt with, the power of sin. If we let grace control us, If we let the Holy Spirit control us, we can say no to sin. So the power of sin is broken. We can make that decisive break with sin. And then the presence of sin won't be with us. That's a great package right there. That is an amazing thing. That is unbelievable that we would have that through just believing. Um, So the last verse we're going to discuss is redemption. And back to Titus, and uh, on verse 14 it says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Um, Redeem, every time you hear the word redeem, think of ransom. It's someone buying someone else's freedom. Who is, who is caught, who is pri- imprisoned. Someone, Jesus, buying our freedom. And remember in the, uh, maybe you've seen slave movies about American slavery where slaves were on a, on, a, on a block and they were human tools and people were buying them and, you know, getting them off the block. And uh, then they'd go and work with their owners. Well, Jesus got you off your slave block. What we're hearing about is smashing pumpkins. I know, because my son is organizing that. Um, so, uh, so we have a, a redeemer coming and taking us off the slave block. And now we need to live for good ge- deeds. We are passionate for good deeds. If we know the Lord, God will help us to be passionate about good deeds. Um, This is how we display that we have a saving God, is that we are about good deeds. We want to do good. Um, Back in uh, verse 12, it says to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we are zealous to do good works. And the best good works are when we're unified, when we have that union with God, and he tells us what to do. He, he gives us urges, unctions to go and do good things for people. Um, that's how we show unbelievers that we know a saving God. We are on display. That's what this is saying. And what's amazing is that when he buys you off of the slave block, He makes you his own special people. Special means treasured. He made you treasured. And then, because of that, we can show 
our treasured nests by good deeds. Remember it said that there was no one good, no, not one, in, in Romans 3? That's a huge difference there. Now we're zealous for good works. First we were not good, no, not one, not one of us. Now we're zealous for good works. Who did that? Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. The best works we can do are in the first part of Titus 2. And it says that the older men will be sober, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women, likewise, they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, for reverence and incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So we get to do good works, we get to silence critics, and we get to display that we have a saving God that saved us from our sins. This is how we do it. And you know, the best place to do it is in our own homes. The reason is, who can disciple your kids but you? Who can love your husband but you? Who can, if you're part of a community and maybe you're single, you can still reach out to people around you and you, can, um, you still have family members that you can be doing good deeds for. Um, we had a pastor along the way very early in our ministry that said, don't ever neglect your family for the ministry. And you know what he said? He goes, you know what? Every time you do that, you have to realize that the people that you're really concentrating on, they may be out of your life. But your kids will always be with you. Your family will always be with you. And so that was the best advice we could get because um, we mostly tried to do that. I know we didn't do it perfectly, but we really tried to do that. And a lot, we love this uh, little quote by Jonathan Edwards, every home is a little church. Every home is a little church. And that's what your homes are supposed to be like, the church. Be, be that leader of the church. Be preparing to be a leader of the church if you're, if you're younger. Um, I just am thankful that we have Christine to lead this ministry. I think she is a great example of somebody who is doing those relationships right. And I'm excited about her being a discipler for the women here. Um, I want to just end with a couple things about salvation. And then I'm done. Psalm 73. My last, psalm, my last scripture, Psalm 73. It's about being unregenerate. Psalm 73, um, 18 and 19. And it says, Surely you set them in slippery places. God sets the unregenerate. In slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Um, these are hard verses. There's a lot of scripture about people not being with God at the end of the age. And this is from a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So whatever, so whatever some have imagined and pretended about the promises made to natural men's earnest seeking and knocking, tis plain and manifest that whatever pains a natural man takes in religion, whatever prayers he makes, till he believes in Christ, the mediator, God is under no manner of obligation to keep him a moment from eternal destruction. Your wickedness makes you as it were as heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend 
and plunge into the bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and to keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. That is someone who does not believe in Jesus as their savior and mediator. Um, I have one more scripture. Luke 12, 4 through 5. Let me just read this to you. Um, it says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, God, who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Here's the end of the sermon of sinners in the hand of an angry God. Um, Now God stands ready to pity you. This is a day of mercy. And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has flung the door of mercy wide open and stands in the door calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north, and south, Many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in are in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him that has loved them and washed them for their sins in his own blood and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. How awful it is to be left behind at such a day. But those who know Christ, those who have made him the mediator, you, have not, you will not be left behind. You have the promise of having the penalty of your sin dealt with completely the power of your sin working we can the holy spirit can help you handle that he can he's bigger he's so big he can help you handle any sin that you are struggling with and then when you get to heaven the presence of sin will be all gone you will be free to worship god in spirit and in truth I want to finish by ending with this little quote. It says, The trouble is that we have made the Bible into a bunch of ideas about which we can be right or wrong, rather than an invitation to a new set of eyes. And that was what Mary had, a new set of eyes. Lord, I just pray that tonight I would have let you speak your word. Lord, it's an amazing thing that you've done for us. We love you, God, and we could never repay you, but we can repay you now with worship. Thank you so much.